Welcome to Breaking Through. I'm Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm bringing you this podcast from Seacrest Studios at Children's Hospital. I have two guests in the studio with me today. Dr. Jay Storm is Chief of the Division of Neurosurgery at CHOP, and Dr. Adam Resnick is a scientist who specializes in neurosurgical research. Dr. Storm and Dr. Resnick are experts on pediatric brain tumors. They are focused on making breakthroughs in precision medicine. In simple terms, that means that they are using genetic information and other data to match patients with the treatments that work best for their tumors. They take a very innovative approach to their work, as you'll hear today. Dr. Storm and Dr. Resnick, you've known each other a long time, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you came to work together. So when I was a neurosurgery resident at Johns Hopkins, we spent our fifth and sixth year in the laboratory. This was in 2000. So as a fifth year resident, I was working in a lab and there was a first year graduate student just down the hall named Adam Resnick. And over the course of the next two years, we would talk together and do experiments and talk science and philosophy of approaches to things. So then when I came to CHOP as a fellow in 2003, I ended up staying on the faculty and had an opportunity from some money that had been raised in the department through philanthropy over the prior couple of decades to have a scientist. And before I took the job, I called Adam and said, we have this neat opportunity. Would you like to come up and join me and do brain tumor work? And he said, that'd be the dream come true. One, working with Jay, even as a graduate student, was transformative. We as scientists rarely get to be so proximal to the clinical domain. And I remember the first time that Jay took me to the OR, even as a resident, and that transformed my view on the potential interaction between research and the clinical domain. At the time, they were doing a hemispherectomy, removing a whole half of a brain from a child suffering from epilepsy. And it was clear that there were so many opportunities to harness collaboration between domains of expertise at the basic science level, the translational science level, and the clinical level could be transformative and accelerate the process of making new discoveries. So a surgeon and a scientist working together on brain tumor research. So hospitals like CHOP have so much data about our patients, genetic information and tumor samples. Tell me about how you're using that information to create breakthroughs. So, you know, CHOP is one of the busiest hospitals in the world. And for a scientist to come into a place like this and have such strong partnerships with the clinical domain was transformative because we could create initial workflows to harness biospecimens and tumor samples from partnered patients and their families for every single patient that came through the OR. And we began very deeply characterizing the tumor samples that came through CHOP's own operating room. But what was really amazing about working here at CHOP and with Jay is that we recognized very early on that if we wanted to truly accelerate research and discovery in behalf of patients, we had to have even a bigger vision than our own four walls. And it was CHOP's leadership and sort of vision that allowed us to then reach out to other hospitals and look at really transforming the research landscape in ways that CHOP's own data could then support linking and bringing in additional data sets and additional samples from other institutions to build what is now the world's largest network for pediatric brain tumor uh, biospecimen-driven research. 
And so CHOP's own large data sets and capacity to store, annotate, generate data, analyze data, acted as a point of gravity that pulled and coordinated entirely new ways of doing research with partnered hospitals. So Dr. Storm, how did you convince neurosurgeons from around the country to send brain tumor tissue samples here to CHOP to do what Dr. Resnick just talked about? Yeah, so it was a multi-pronged approach. What we had to do is make sure that this collaboration and consortium that we were building would be completely egalitarian and we always say radically transparent so that everyone benefits in a similar way. What often happens with these consortium is at some point someone has primacy or is benefiting maybe more than the others, but this was built solely to help patients. And so uh, there was no worrying about who's gonna get credit. Everybody kind of got together to say, let's make some cures rather than credit. And not being flippant, the other thing that helps is money. So we actually pay each of these institutions through philanthropic money that we raise to support it. It requires manpower and to do these things and collect samples and not only send them, but we have frequent phone calls to make sure all the clinical data is linked to the genomic data, which makes it far more powerful. So where this really comes alive is when we talk about a patient. Can you, Dr. Storm, talk to me about a patient that helps us understand your work? So I think one of the class of patients that it benefits is patients with what's called low-grade gliomas. They're the most common brain tumor that we take care of in the pediatric population. And one of the things we were able to do through all these samples and using this approach was identify mutations in a gene called BRAF. And so it turns out that there are drugs that are treated for melanoma that have the exact same mutation. Actually, one of the abnormalities in BRAF also was discovered in the lab by Adam was a fusion gene. And so we had a patient who was felt to have a BRAF mutation, was diagnosed, and with all the drugs that were out there, there was a big push to start giving patients these medications that we know inhibit this cell signaling pathway. However, through some of the preclinical testing, we found that it would inhibit melanoma and a certain subclass of BRAF mutations. But when you had the fusion gene like this patient, it would actually stimulate it. Just as important of getting the right drug is to make sure you don't get the wrong drug. And it turned out this patient didn't get that drug, but in a clinical trial that was later done in patients, it confirmed what we found preclinically that actually these tumors were stimulating. So the tumors grew on the medication. So there's a way where you know, we're learning about the tissue, make a discovery, and then can test it because we have the, not just the genomic data, but we have the tissue and animal models so that we can go back and look at cell lines and tissue and get this feed forward mechanism. But it's really uh, changed how we treat these logoglomas. And that, that was our, one of the first experiences we had where, again, leveraging a common refrain in our work through connection and collaboration across different institutions, different domains of expertise, or even different diseases, we find an avenue to, as Jay mentioned, prevent harm to patients. But when we discovered that, we then began working with the same drug companies who were trying to treat melanoma to assess, are there drugs that could treat gliomas if we understand how they work? And because we had the specimens, the cell lines, the preclinical analysis, all the data required to do that analysis, they became very strong partners. 
to the point that we've run two clinical trials and now a third for these patients, leveraging entirely new opportunities that were derived from studying skin cancer on behalf of patients with rare brain tumors. So it really brings precision medicine alive. So no two brain tumors or people who have them are, are alike, yeah. and you're treating them as very, very individual situations. Yeah. So you mentioned philanthropy, and that has helped fuel your work. And both of you are terrific. I see you out there at CHOP fundraising events, and you're talking to philanthropists. Talk to the audience about how this has been important for your work and, and where you think it might fuel your work in the future. Yeah, I mean, philanthropy uh, is invaluable to what we're doing. We see it as more than just money. That obviously is very important, but it also gives the families purpose. It gives us purpose, and it allows us to really make them part of our team. That's why we enjoy going to the event so much. I mean, they're truly our partners in this. I mean, they're looking for cures in some instances for their children that have a brain tumor that may not progress or become lethal for 10, 15 years. So these are people we want to work with. We want to know what's important to them. How do they want us to use the funds and direct it? One of the most rewarding things is when we go around and show them what we're doing and get their input. And everything we build, we have them as our partners. So it's way beyond money. Obviously, that's important. And that fuels us. About a third, at least a third of what we do is completely philanthropically derived. So if we didn't have philanthropy, we wouldn't be able to participate in anywhere near the way we're doing it right now. The consortium that we launched in 2009, the Children's Brain Tumor Tissue Consortium. For the first almost 10 years of the program, we grew from four institutions to 18 institutions. The entire time and scope of that work and effort was entirely funded through philanthropy, through more than 50 foundations. And once we got big enough and successful in really translating these efforts into new discoveries, that created a platform for additional investment by the National Institute of Health. And over the past year, all the work that we did around launching biospecimen-driven infrastructures, platforms for shared discovery and data sharing and analytics, then served as a substrate for a brand new program from the NIH called the Gabriella Miller Kids First Data Resource Center, which is a 10-year program to drive the very same discoveries that we were doing initially at the consortia on behalf of every pediatric cancer and structural birth defects, with more than 30,000 children enrolled in this program by the end of this year, all because those foundations and patients believed in the mission and vision at the time when there were no other resources to support it. I love that story because it's really exponential. You know, That's right. Philanthropy got it started and then attracted additional funding and really took your work to the next level. So I like to ask all of my guests about their breakthrough in their work or even make it personal related to your work. So Adam, tell me about a personal breakthrough. I'm a PhD, right, who lives proximally to the impact that I hope the work we do in the laboratory and on the research side immediately translates into clinical care. Because we began building these infrastructures and platforms to support discovery and analysis, we began getting requests and questions from around the world, from hospitals, clinicians, to help them understand their own patients. And I remember a French clinician emailing me. She said, I don't know much about genomics, uh, but I have a report in front of me that says my patient has this mutation. 
currently, I know that this young child will die within the next two months unless we figure out some other solution. But I don't know how to translate the information I have in my hand to open a new possibility that might be informed by the data that you guys have generated. And so I'm certainly not a clinician, but I could direct her right, to look at information to help guide her understanding of her patient. And about six months later, she wrote me back and she said, Adam, I just wanted you to know that through the platforms and information that you made available, we reviewed the case and were able to find a new opportunity for therapy that has been extending this patient's life. She was really at the end of what we had to give her. And that patient ended up living another 15 months after that conversation. And at the end, the clinician again reached out to me and she wanted to share with me the appreciation and joy that the family had given her or expressed to her about the time. We're all always fighting time in one way or another to accelerate discoveries and breakthroughs. But to have this capacity through research to have such immediacy of impact to provide time, ultimately cures, but even time to families is transformational, right? It provides so much meaning, drives myself, Jay, and the more than 60 staff members who work within our center. Um, and that's something that I never imagined possible, even as a graduate student, when Jay and I were philosophizing about the future. Well, so rewarding to you, I can see. And mm. for those who are listening, Dr. Resnick is really smiling as he tells that story mm. because it's such great feedback yeah. for you and the work you're doing. Dr. Storm, tell me about a story that's a breakthrough for you. So for me, uh, it's a little bit different. I am able to have impact on a daily basis with the patients that I take care of. But for me, one of the biggest breakthroughs uh, was a moment that actually Adam called me. I still remember I was sitting at McDonald's enjoying a quarter pounder with cheese. And Adam called me to inform me that we had been awarded the Kids First NIH grant. And this was a transformative breakthrough that was going to allow tens of thousands of whole genomes to come in through uh, the Center for Data-Driven Discovery in Biomedicine. And that we were then going to be able to release these to the entire world. And that it was just kind of a landmark moment for me, knowing that A, that everything we'd been working up to that point was getting rewarded, but more that the reward was gonna be helping patients everywhere. Yeah. I remember, Dr. Storm, when you first talked to me about this work and you said you're in the business of removing brain tumors from children and that you don't have a lot of hope that you give the families and that what really motivated you to do this work is that someday you wanted to be able to give families hope when you go out to, you know, from the operating room to give them news. And that stuck with me all this time. Yeah, that's the hard part knowing that I've reached the ceiling, neurosurgery has reached the ceiling. I mean, we can take the tumor out, but we know for too many of our patients, even though every cell that we can see is out, every cell in the MRI is out, these patients are still gonna die. We gotta do better. Yeah. Well, you are doing better, and I'm very inspired by your work, and I'm so glad that you were able to come by and talk with me today. So Dr. Storm and Dr. Resnick, I want to thank you so much for joining me and to learn more about how you can be part of tomorrow's breakthroughs at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, please visit chop.edu giving. At CHOP, we make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell. Thank you for listening.